0: You girls, have your beer. Hey everybody, this is Charlie from MathRax and you are listening to today's Boondoggle. This is Mark Metcalf and you are listening to today's Boondoggle with Bailey on Domain Cleveland Radio. You are listening to
1: today's Boondoggle with Bailey on Domain Cleveland Radio. Yes, Kato Kalen listens to this all the time.
0: Welcome to today's Boondoggle. Now get
1: To, so Heath, and to Today's
0: Boondoggle. Hey what's up it's John from Skillet And you are listening to Today's Boondoggle On Domain Cleveland Radio Fasten your seatbelts Sonic Temple Art and Music Festival Returns to historic Crew Stadium Slipknot ah! Disturbed, Pantera, The Original Misfits, Evanescence, Slim Biscuit, Judas Priest, Stay. Breaking Benjamin, A Day to Remember, Falling in Reverse, Sleep Token, Rise again, 311, Cedar, Mudvay and many more. May 16th through the 19th, Columbus, Ohio. Tickets on sale now at sonictemplefestival.com. What's going on, everybody? It's Bill Bailey with today's boondoggle. And a real quick housekeeping note, if you're watching us on YouTube or Rumble or BitChute or Odyssey, please hit that follow and subscribe button. And if you're listening to us on Spotify, Apple, Google, whatever podcast platform you utilize, please hit that follow and subscribe button so we can continue to bring you conversations like the ones I'm bringing you today. Catching up with my old friend, Mr. Tim Lambesis from the band Austrian Death Machine and As I Lay Dying. What's going on, buddy? Uh, it's good to be here. Yeah, it's good to see you after a lot of... Uh, it's been
1: a few years, at least, uh, and uh, it's good to see you.
0: Yeah, it's been, been quite a few years. I'm sure, uh, you know, uh, uh, many PRs since, you know, and <laughs> all I'm that trying. good I think, stuff. I think my my uh,
1: compound lift PRs are behind me because I'm <laughs> starting to develop some, uh, some disc issues in my lower back, but uh, it doesn't mean that I'm... I'm not, like, struggling to live or anything like that. I just have to kind of figure out more efficient ways to hit muscle hypertrophy without, you know, loading four or 500 pounds on the bar.
0: Yeah, man, I'm, uh, I'm 50 going to be 51 and I'm still trying to get out there and lifting. But after my time in the service and everything is like, you know, I got, uh, all kinds of joint and bone issues. So yeah, I'm the same thing. I just try and lift smarter, not harder, I guess, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Staying active. But, uh, Anyway, usually when I have somebody on for the first time, I like to get a quick background. So, do you remember originally what you wanted to be when you grew up? Um, you know, my
1: my dad was actually uh, a a teacher at uh, Arizona State University for a little while and loved it, but then wasn't able to properly, you know, take care of the family with that kind of income and how hard it is for I don't I don't know the the politics of like you know, academia, but like getting tenured as a, a professor and all that kind of stuff. Uh, so he ended up switching careers. But um, I remember just how fondly he spoke of it and how much he enjoyed it if, if the money and the politics wasn't an issue. And so I always thought like it, it could be a, a fun path. And part of that is just from the hearsay of, of what it was like from my dad's perspective. But, uh, you know, I, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll go with that as my backup job if, if uh, this didn't work out
0: nice nice and then what was it that like music kind of uh captured your ear and and who are some of your early influences um well the earliest influences we're talking about you and i both you know the age before before the
1: internet before you could i mean you had if you went to a record store you were really gambling on like what you bought you had no idea you know you like looked at the album cover and it's like oh this looks like it might be like heavy let me buy this you know and um so the heaviest stuff i was aware of like as a early teenager, like 13-ish, like probably even younger, maybe like 11 or 12 would have been. Um, There's a couple of Pantera songs they play on the radio. And of course, like Metallica. And uh, it was during like the, the thrash heyday, you know, when I, I was born in the end of 80. So like that, that puts the thrash heyday right around when I was like, you know, becoming a metal consumer. So it was all those, you know, those those original thrash wave bands.
0: Nice. And then uh, you grew up in the the San Diego area?
1: Uh, yeah, I did ever since I was seven years old. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm, the vast majority of my memories are out here in this area, like the suburbs of San Diego.
0: And what was that uh, music scene like when you were getting involved in it? Uh, San Diego is
1: like, at least at the time, uh, you know, kind of had like that. It's, well, of course, it still has the surf culture, but the surf culture really crossed over with like punk back then. And so it was uh, largely like the California punk bands were the the biggest in terms of underground music like metal metal wasn't talked about along with my classmates as often although you know there were were metal heads and stuff like that but like everybody loved like i remember the first non um non like big arena show like like actual like you know club show that i went to was bad religion back when i was uh, i think 13 years old and so that was the energy from punk is like sort of ingrained in my roots and that's why i think the Azalei stuff is a little bit fast paced and more thrashy compared to maybe some of our peers who maybe grew up on some like the more mid tempo kind of stompy metal stuff. Uh, But of course as a guitar player or when I started playing guitar and writing riffs, I I just thought metal was so much more interesting. And that's how I eventually got more into metal.
0: Yeah. What originally attracted you to, to take up guitar?
1: Uh, So uh, when I was in high school, uh, my two closest friends, uh, one of them was already a great guitar player, and then he was teaching my other friend to play guitar, and I just, I felt, like, left out, you know, I had, like, FOMO, you know, like, like, like you know, my buddies are all doing something cool musically, and I loved music, I, I always, like, you know, I was always the one turning them on to new punk bands and stuff like that, so I was the guy with my my ear to the ground about that stuff, um, and I just said, well, dudes, like, can I at least, like, play bass, you know, will you at least teach me enough? So I, I like, sort of, my one friend taught my other friend who taught me, and then I, I started to learn, learn bass, and then uh, no offense to high schoolers. I don't think anybody could be offended because high schoolers lo- most of the time suck at writing songs, but none of us were good at writing songs. And so I thought to myself like, well, if I want to become a songwriter, I need to move from bass to guitar. And so I started picking up the guitar to start riffing a little more and uh, really focused on
0: songwriting. Nice. And then um, when was it like, uh, you said this was like around high school that you started connecting with Yeah, you can? so like, I, I think
1: I was... Nearly 17 by the time I finally learned to play an instrument. So it's just a different era cuz now I mean if you're interested in playing guitar and you're 10 years old and you have access to YouTube You could learn more, you know in two weeks than it. I learned in like two years, you know,
0: yeah And then um, it said I I read that you were voted most like Jesus as a teen was that in high school, too yeah, there um there, there was a lot of like different styles of awards in sports because I went
1: to a Christian high school. So, you know, there was like the, the leadership oriented awards. And then of course, like uh, your athleticism on the field type awards. And, and um I forget the exact title of it, but it was so, some type of award that was like the person on the, the football team that, you know, I, I can't remember the exact phrasing of it, but you know, kind, kind of like that, that person that, the other people felt like was really helping them, uh, grow in their, in their faith and stuff. And that's, that was like, you know, my, my high school had this interesting culture of, of a crossover between, um, athleticism and, and spiritual, uh, spiritual growth.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. And then, um, so you played football for the the high school team. Is that when you kind of got exposed to, uh, you know, bodybuilding as well? Um, well just,
1: the necessity of, of being stronger as a football basketball player, you know, I, I, I had an incredible work ethic. I think that, uh, you know, I have a lot of faults in my life, but work ethic has never been one of them. And I, I was the guy on the team that, that felt like, you know, we could, we could as a team or I could as, a, as an individual be a better asset if I, you know, was lifting weights. So like, I got really into it. For my last couple of years in high school um and then as soon as i finished high school and i didn't have a reason to do that anymore i just stopped from basically like you know late 18 like 19 years old essentially all the way until um i turned 30. i didn't i didn't really hardly touch i mean maybe i went to the gym just to like hang out with some buddies once in a while but like i didn't have any kind of a consistent workout routine for at least a decade
0: gotcha and then when did uh as i lay dying come together
1: um let's see i started writing some of the songs that became Lady dying in, in like 2000 and then we uh made our first debut record in 2001. so i guess that puts me at, uh let's see i was 20 years old when we made our debut record and 19 when i started writing those songs
0: and then uh <clears throat> when did it uh when did you know that you had something you know with this band and and started actually getting out and and hitting a lot of those uh venues that you talked about seeing like bad religion at yourself
1: um yeah well at 13 years old i is when i became a fan of like underground music so i just started trying to go to any show that my parents would let me go to and it's actually kind of funny looking back i don't know how we all convinced our parents to let us go see bad religion but but we did it was me and a (laughs) couple of friends um and not that they're particularly you know i think um they're they're not particularly like uh a a wild or crazy band or anything but just with that name coming from a christian high school i I thought it was yeah um yeah and then and then in terms of songwriting when i felt like uh music went from like me being just a fan that just picks up my guitar and tries to like keep up with things i enjoy to like having a potential to make a career out of it i'd probably fast forward all the way till. It wasn't until two thousand four that I felt like there was a potential for a career there.
0: Nice. And then, um, <clears throat> when did uh, you know uh, Austrian Death Machine become, you know, a project for you? I mean, other than the uh, being a big fan, I guess of the Governator, uh, What was uh, what what else inspired you to start this project? Um, well, I, I think like every personality
1: has multiple outlets. You know, there's that really serious philosophical thinker in, in each of us and some for some people that's a very small piece of them and, and then everybody has like a very silly like just wanting to tell jokes type outlet uh everybody has that you know and it's like well for me um you know everything i i do do and did with asla dying was so heartfelt that i i just was like well that's not entirety of who i am i also just want to have fun sometimes you know and this felt like a really fun outlet for uh for me having balance to my personality
0: yeah nice and then um like what was uh you know uh what was going on around that time period like with uh i'm trying to remember when that first when you first started that like was arnold the governor around then
1: he was yeah uh he was the governor and asla dying was making the album an ocean between us and that album was taking so long because it was back in the, the day when, um, you know, it was before I, I learned, I mean, we, we still program drums a lot of times on our, our demos and stuff, but it was just really rough programming. It was, it was now, I mean, now I can program drums down to the detail of how I want every last drum fill and every last little accent to be. and uh, So there's less of a reason for it to take forever till I finally get to track my vocals. I mean, we could write a demo, in one day and i could track my vocals and then they can finish you know recording the real drums like a month later but back then i had to wait for everybody to finish their parts before i could do my vocals and uh i remember just sitting in the studio just like man like this is taking forever i'm bored and i just started i would go into the other room and just pick up my guitar and just start riffing you know <laughs> And <the> next <laughs> thing you knew i had i had written the whole austria death machine record before we even finished tracking dazzle dying record
0: <laughs> nice and then, uh, you mentioned, uh, you know, that album, uh, Ocean Between Us. I remember too, like I was, I was deployed around that time and, uh, like back because of my involvement in, in, you know, music promotions and stuff back then, back before, uh, zip files or streams and stuff, you know, they mail you the hard copies to review and stuff. And I remember I, that's kind of when I first got a taste of you guys, uh, I would be playing it at the gym over in, in Kuwait and stuff. And then, uh. Like, I remember when I came home, my, uh, you know, my, my whole life had changed. You know, I came, came home and my, you know, I had two kids and everything was kind of falling apart in my life. I was uh, struggling with alcohol and drugs and everything. And, and then, uh, you know, I like basically hit my bottom and kind of over there listening to you guys and like demon hunter and stuff like that, like a seed was planted. And I think I remember sharing this story with you when, when we finally met, like, like, uh or like seeing you guys perform live was a a live festival uh christian music festival here in ohio and i was with my kids and i remember like reaching out to frank i'm like hey i know you've toured with these guys before can you connect me with with uh with tim and that's how then we ended up you know connected and getting together and uh like that was like very early on in my spiritual walk and stuff and i remember like you know just talking with you and picking your brain and being like wow i can still listen to metal and heavy music and stuff and be a Christian, you know, I can, like you said, have, have fun with like Austrian death machine and stuff like that, you know? And then, uh, it was around that time too, where, uh, uh, I got the news that, you know, uh, was a very dark time for you. Um, care sharing like what you've learned from that time and, uh, how that has made you who you are today.
1: Yeah. I mean, well, well first, I mean, just in terms of your, your deployment and, uh, the physical and mental toll that takes on a person. Like I, I can't pretend to know what that's like in any way, but I, I can say that I, I'm very honored to have, have been helpful in that process to help in like in any kind of way. I, I know there's a lot of things that help you sort of feel like you're, um, you know, bouncing back from, from such a difficult experience. And, and if, if anything I created musically helped you with that, I mean, that, that feels really cool for me to hear that. So like, thank you, you know, that's super, um,
0: yeah, man definitely yeah,
1: that encouraged me a lot in, in terms of um, to address that that darker period of my life uh, you know and, and just to call it what it is the the greatest uh failure and mistake and hurt that I, I have ever caused in a you know another human being in my life i I I think moving from that point of feeling sorrow of, of focusing on my own pain to to realizing, you know the the pain there's the pain that's in the world that i've created and then the pain that exists in the world and so many other people and and to and to realize that the depths of my selfishness to be so focused on what my pain was you know if, if a, a lot of times i i do i have met a lot of of fathers along the way that um you know are are losing contact with their children and then they can't do anything about it and they're trying to stay involved in their kids lives and they're feeling pushed out and they're going through pain, and they handle it very, very well. And when I look at myself, you know, I I made the worst possible decisions during that time of my life. And so, um, just coming to grips with that rock bottom of selfishness, uh, you know, it's pretty shocking to like think back that, you know, that that's where my mind went during those dark times. But uh, but the best thing I could do is just make sure that like I'm I'm nowhere near there. I'm not I I. I'm nowhere near, and and never will again in my life be at a point where I, I ignore other people's pain so much to focus on my own.
0: And then, what has that that uh, that journey like uh, been like? Kind of like I guess I remember like you know hearing hearing the news, and I had your number back then, um, which uh, yeah, I don't even know if it's still the same, but I remember reaching out to you, man, just checking on you, seeing how you were doing uh, before you went in. And then, uh, like, what was that time of, like, you know, I mean, you had nothing but your your being in your thoughts during that time. Uh, what was that like to kind of, like, you're stuck facing yourself and then going through that? Because I know when I first got sober and in, in recovery, you know, I was have it, it was kind of like, I mean, it, I can't compare to, you know, what you may have experienced, but I know for me it was just like, you know i did a lot of harm to the mother of my kids i put my kids through a lot of stuff when i was in active addiction and stuff too you know and then i had to face that person and then you know work in recovery now and and god willing uh march 1st I'll have 15 years now sober congrats you know? but thank you uh, but um you know it, it just but but like you said it's like we can only say so much what you know we it, it's the actions and who we're becoming today and what we do you know, to make those living amends and stuff. What was that time like in there for you to process and then come out and say, you know, I got to turn things around?
1: Yeah, I mean, the most clear thing to me in that situation is that if I prove with the rest of my life, and it for most people on this planet, well, not most, but for many people on this planet, it will take nearly the rest of my life for them to believe that that is an isolated event in my life. But if I want to show to anybody That this was an isolated event in my life where i really went down a dark path um then i i just you know i I have to to come out of that incarceration experience uh being nothing but an asset to society and the people that i you know that i work with and and i i feel like um where i've gone with my life in the aftermath of this is you know, I, I can't promise everybody's going to get along with me or forgive me for my past, but in terms of like what, what I do going forward, I mean, I'm I'm just trying to to overcome that. And uh, I think that over a long period of time, that's the only way to show it. I, I can't come out of there rushing to be like, please accept me now after you know, I, got a, I got out of prison yeah. yesterday and please believe that I'm a changed person. You know, I have to know that for some people they're willing to uh, visit me while I'm in prison and accept that I changed before I even got released. But for other people, they want to see 20 years under my belt, you know? so I just, yeah. I, I just don't try to speed that process along and just accept it.
0: Yeah. I can you know, once again, it's like, like I said, it's different, but somewhat the same because it's like, I, uh, right away when I got first got sober, it's just like, I wanted everybody to accept me as like, Hey, I'm changed. I'm not going to hurt you anymore. Everything's good. Forgive me you know? And I realized working these steps and working with a, a sponsor and working the program is just like, um, that's a process, you know? yeah, And, uh, yeah. And, you know, I still, I still mess up quite a bit. I mean, uh, you know, Jesus Christ is still my higher power in my life, but, uh, I, I screw up quite often, you know, but, um, I love hearing other redemption stories, man. I think other people need to hear those, you know, it's uh it, it gives hope. Like you said, your music's inspiring and as dark as this whole journey has been, you know, I think you could still, you know, you're turning it into a light, you know? Um, yeah, I, I do accept that there's some people in my
1: life that, um, you know, m- maybe in some way they forgive me or maybe in some way that they, you know, they've, they've advanced into how they feel about the whole situation. But in terms of, you know, when they see me, I they're reminded of of traumatic feelings, or they're you know there there's some sort of uh, trigger that comes to the surface for them. So like the mere thought of me, regardless of who I am now, they, they think of of what it is they see in the association they see with me. And so some people will never see me for who I am now, and some people may never see you for who you are now. But I think that um the the important part is that if you truly feel Feel like you've made the progress in your life to continue to be better, and, and, and you have. And I, I think you have a greater chance of. By the way, you probably have um, 15 years sober. I would imagine you know you've uh, mended everywhere that you need to mend for the most part. But but I'm I'm sure you remember in part of the process. Sometimes there's literally nothing you can do. Just the mere presence yeah. of you existing would make some people upset. You know, and and that's that's a that's a, a weird part about being a public figure is that uh, sometimes a person who's never had a conversation with me and whose life I didn't affect whatsoever feels incredibly hurt by me. uh, And I will never have a chance to have a rational conversation with that person.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, like, uh, like I was saying, it's like, even though, you know, it's like, there's still, there's still some people, it's just like that. I need to like, you know, let go of things, you know, uh, that, you know, forgiveness is something that I need to do for others that I feel wounded me, but then I actually, you know, wounded them in the process. And, uh, and then there was a, um, with, uh, shit, what what was I going to say? The, uh, you know, and and there's some people that will just, like you were saying, will never, you know, accept it. And I, and I'm not in control of their reactions or how they feel, you know, I can't control that. I can only control, you know, how I'm going to react and how I'm going to grow and learn from, from my mistakes. But, uh, I read also that, uh, one of the things that you did that you've been doing too, is you got, um, certified as a, uh, addiction counselor. Is that true?
1: Yeah. So, uh, while I was incarcerated, I did a bunch of courses, um, to, to get a handful of different degrees, but the, the one that I, I felt was the most applicable to like my path going forward is, is, uh, the, the courses I had to take to become a certified addiction treatment counselor. And so when I was first released, the first job I had was to work in an addiction treatment facility um, and originally just kind of working behind the scenes as an intern and then eventually a, a case manager and group facilitator uh, doing group therapy kind of stuff. And th- those situations are great because it's not about me or my story or it's it's about understanding the principles and being able to facilitate a group and not it's not about like leadership and telling people what to do or anything, you know, but it's about yeah. just just helping people. And as a case manager, I, I I felt like I really cared and did a great job. Uh, and then music, of course, picked back up and and um, I couldn't do both because it's like it's not like you can go in one or two days a week as a case manager and, and work because then, then there's no stability for the clients, right? So it's kind of like a, you either gotta be there on a regular basis or you gotta um, have somebody else take over the job. And so uh, I wish that there was a way for me to like hybridize what I was doing. And that's partly why I started, uh, I, I co-founded a, a nonprofit, or sorry, the nonprofit already existed, but I, I, I co-founded a division of a nonprofit that is helping people who were previously incarcerated or coming out of addiction treatment to get a uh, meaningful employment so that they can really be on a path to, to continue to survive and do well rather than just like working a minimum wage job and barely paying their bills and having that, um, draw to, you know, fall back into like old life patterns.
0: Awesome. And then as you were saying, like, you know, music's always been, been in your blood, you know, and it started calling you again, um, started getting as I lay dying going again. But when, why was, uh, why would you say now is the right time for uh Austrian Death Machine to uh I'll be Buck? So
1: originally um I was gonna have the Austrian Death Machine record come out after this next Aslay Dying record because I felt like at that point, um well I'll 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 let me back up a little bit. I felt like if I were to release Austrian Death Machine shortly after everything that I had gone through and um you know i think people would be like you know hey this guy just just got out of prison and he's trying to like go out there and be silly and it doesn't doesn't just doesn't cross right you know and and I, I don't think that that just because a person did time means they can't ever tell a joke again you know but but i do think that there's like jo- jokes are all about timing right and if you're like coming out of traumatic experience and you're just like telling silly jokes i just think it's just really distasteful so uh, I wanted to wait a certain amount of time, so I wanted to wait at least until after the first Asla Dying record, and then I thought, okay, well, after the second one, that's for sure going to be enough time. Um, and then what happened is just the, <laughs> the Asla Dying record took so long that uh, that I had this Austrian Death Machine record sitting here just like ready to go for like the last year almost, and I decided, okay, well, let me switch the order, but I do feel like the timing is appropriate at this point.
0: Yeah, and uh, when can we expect you guys to be playing at uh, the Arnold Classic?
1: uh well question for you uh do they have bands i've never been to the arnold classic oddly enough but do they have bands uh performing there
0: i've never seen bands perform there i mean i've seen like you know they do jujitsu competitions and obviously weightlifting competitions and stuff like that but uh you guys could be the first man you should uh plant a seed
1: (laughs) i I do uh like the crossover between the bodybuilding community and um and fitness or or sorry the fitness community and 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 metal i feel like In general those things need to cross over more so i'm down
0: awesome and then uh so quad brutal it's coming out uh february 23rd um other than not missing leg day what inspired the the out name for this album
1: uh well naturally i mean it's like total brutal Double brutal triple brutal and then you know i had to have the number four in there somewhere so i mean quad brutal plus the concept of Arnold holding the whole world like in a squat, a squat position to me seemed like a, a good representation of that, um, and then it also gave me a good excuse because of the the quad term, you know, to have a little bit more emphasis on crossover between fitness and metal, like I had referenced about performing at the Arnold um, the Arnold Classic. So, you know, I, I just think it was great timing and, and uh, thematically as well as you know a necessity for to have the the word uh, four in there.
0: Nice. And then, um, you know, I'm checking it, checking out the, uh, the preview of the album and stuff, opening track, no pain, no gain. It sets the stage basically, you know, for, uh, you know, Austrian death machine is back and here we go. And I've been, I, you know, except for today, obviously, cause I'm under the weather, but, uh, this past week when I've been going into the gym and hitting my reps, I've been playing it to, to get ready to talk with you. But, um, it, 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 uh, I, I was checking out the video and I noticed, uh, you know, uh, well, a couple things, but I enjoyed, uh, the, uh, are you guys like fans of the carnivore diet? Would you say, um, yeah, I think there's like
1: a little bit of poke fun at certain, certain stereotypes within the bodybuilding community. One, I think there's a lot of hugely uh, good benefits to the, to the carnivore diet that primarily are based in my opinion, off the idea that you're not eating, processed foods and you're only eating the highest quality like actual uh good meats which 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 do have tons of nutrients in them and of course if you went to the the store and got the average ground beef for the average you know chicken breast it doesn't really have very many micronutrients but when you eat high quality meats i mean there's definitely uh you know beef liver being a perfect example of like very high level of micronutrients as well as the protein and all that stuff but uh i just wanted to be as over the top as possible and sort of poke fun at some of the the like you know, stereotypes within the, uh, the fitness community.
0: It's funny too, because it's like, I was out uh, shopping for it and I like to joke around too, but I guess I shouldn't joke when, when it's uh Valentine's day, uh, you know, I got my girlfriend like a little Valentine's care package this week and gave it to her. And uh, one thing I had in there was the shake weight. I see made a uh, cameo in the, uh, the video yeah. as well.
1: Yeah, I mean all the all the like hilarious parts of fitness over the years. I mean, if if we can't be self-aware, and I say we, I mean the fitness community can't be self-aware enough to, you know, to laugh at ourselves every once in a while. Then it's you know, it, it makes going to the gym every day, uh, you know, feel so uh, fatiguing.
0: Yeah, it's speaking of fatiguing. Like I mean, like I said today, I was listening to my body. You know, I want to fight this this cold, but uh, there's some days I get up, you know, and I'm just like I feel like I didn't sleep well. I had half a take but uh you know don't be lazy man i get i get it i check out i, I was playing don't be lazy and it was just like i gotta push myself in there and, and uh you know both of these videos very entertaining but i also noticed we have a uh an old cleveland transplant now that's uh, been working with you guys i gotta give a shout out of course and mention to, to craig golias
1: yeah so craig's interesting to you you know his background being from cleveland and um well, they didn't have, like, uh, they don't have recordings on Spotify. He was in some metalcore band, or a metalcore band, at least, back in, like, 2000, 2001. So he's been a part of the music scene before he was ever a bodybuilder, but then naturally uh, has had a lot more success with bodybuilding than he has uh, with oh, yeah.
0: music. I remember running into him at Peabody's back in the day at shows and, and seeing him play, and we would talk. And, you know, then I'm, I I see him now online. The dude's got his own zip code and everything. He's so big yeah yeah, he does but i love too that you guys are rolling up on on your motorcycles and then he comes like you know rolling up on it i i guess a, a trike would have been like really impossible but it was still funny seeing him roll up on a bmx so
1: yeah that I'm, I'm shocked that, that bike uh the the frame's not
0: bent yeah exactly and then uh i mean as you were mentioned you know he had uh Played in some metalcore bands here in Cleveland back in the day, but how did you guys originally like connect? Um.
1: So he he's been doing like kind of like having fun with the metal thing. Like he'll uh, on his Instagram page, you know, he'll there'll be like a an 80s pop hit, and he'll like you know be driving around in his car like screaming along to it with like you know his like brutal metal voice. Uh, so I knew that he had uh, a good metal voice from just being being silly but he like really loves super brutal heavy music and then so the, um, um i guess you maybe call it a mutual friend like a mutual f- follower of ours um like kind of uh had written us both and be like you guys need to work out together because you're both like the biggest i mean i'm not anywhere near craig's size but in terms of for for the music world there's not very many people that are above 250 pounds or, or at least above 250 pounds on, on the more, slightly more muscular side and so she's like well you know you're the 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 largest i don't i'm sure there's other people out there that are larger but in terms of the way that she presented it, you're like the largest guy that that does metal and this guy is the biggest dude in the world that happens to also like metal and you guys need to get a workout together and you know figure it out and and we we started uh, we grabbed a workout together we hung out we started just just kind of becoming friends. And then uh, the more we became friends, the more natural everything was to just do some songs together.
0: Nice. And then also, I guess, uh, somewhere in my family tree, we got a, a body, some bodybuilding bloodline or whatever, because I noticed uh, you guys work with Rob Bailey also. Mm-hmm. Um, how did that come together?
1: Uh, so Rob and I met like maybe 12-ish years ago or so. Um, and Rob's one of those guys where he, he likes what he likes. He's not worried about criticism he's not worried about you know what's cool or what's not cool he just he's like the real deal and i've always respected that about him and uh because of that uh we've always kept in touch and even through you know everything that i went through he wasn't scared to still be my friend there's some people you know just uh, names aren't important but there's some people who when i got out they're like oh yeah like i still like you as a person i still care about you as a person but i don't want to be publicly associated with you in any way you know and that, that's happened many times, um, you know, as the dying is trying to figure out like who we should do this show with or that show with. And some people have had that approach and Rob just ever since he's like, you know what, you're, you made a mistake. You're my friend, but I know you're a good dude. And I've always loved hanging out with you. And we, um, I just always wanted to do something with him. And I sang a song on his, um, I don't know. it's like an album or EP or, or cause I'm the, we're living the world of like digital singles, you know? So, but I, I sang a song with Rob. It came out a few months before, um, uh this this album is about to come out uh on the 23rd and um yeah it, it wasn't like us you scratch my back i scratch yours kind of it just was like we we love supporting each other and so it was a great opportunity to do
0: that nice and then like you were saying i got maybe it's a bailey thing too but i remember uh you know i'd uh think you know i would still like reach out to you now and then when 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 you first got out and then uh it was just like uh you know life happens and uh but I will never forget, like, during my time of early, you know, uh, growth and, and early on in my walk, and like I said, how how your music helped me when I was deployed, but also, like, having your ear to lean on, dude. This is like I'm uh, grateful for, uh, you know, what you were doing for me during that, that time period and, you know, uh, hope I didn't, you know, like, feel like I, you know, was one of the guys that abandoned you, but like I said, life kind of happens, you know? No, not, not at all.
1: I, I actually, and there's a whole other side of it too, is I get so overwhelmed. I don't keep social, I, I have, I have to keep up with social media. Like I still exist, but I don't keep it on my phone because just the idea of like that, that many messages on a daily basis just makes me feel so overwhelmed. So I, I sometimes I'm just like relatively off the radar. <coughs> even people are trying to get in touch with me, but, uh, no, I mean, I, I, I appreciate I've always known that about you. And I, I know that, um, even though I've, Change phones like five times. You know what I mean. I know, I know uh, where your heart's at, and I appreciate that. And, and uh, by the way, I, I didn't realize it's already been fifteen years. That fifteen years of sobriety. That's a that's a huge deal. So that's uh
0: Yeah, I not mean, yet. March first, but, 1st, but yeah. almost there. You know. Yeah. Like I said, I mean, I don't see myself, you know, slipping, but I don't want to get cocky either. You know. Right. Right. But I mean, yeah. I mean, uh, humans are creatures of habit
1: and healthy routines, and. We're always moving in one direction or another. So if you got healthy routines and you're doing good, man, I just that I, I think that's inspiring to other people, you know, and uh, I, I love the recovery community because I think that everybody that's that's been mad at themselves and failed in some way and hit some version of rock bottom, they know what it's like to let other people down and they know what it's like to be mad at themselves, and they know how to they know what it's like to try to, to, to crawl back from that. And, and then eventually be on two feet and standing still, you know, standing tall again. And, um, that's just, it, f- it feels like my, my people, you know? And so I, I, I really am um, thankful to be, uh, in any way involved in the recovery community.
0: Yeah, man. Uh, and we're glad to have you. Um, I, I also got to touch on, uh, your video for kill the machines, uh, because this is, uh, well, I mean, I, I see she made a couple of cameos in the other videos, but this is like you and your your current wife together, uh, you know, fighting the machines. Uh, you you want to uh, share a little bit about uh, how you guys came came together, and uh, you know, uh, obviously, she's uh, got a love of metal as well. Yeah. So when we did,
1: I did um, "No Pain No Gain" was the first song for Austrian Death Machine I'd recorded for this record, and and just that I recorded in about ten years. And when Craig, Craig Elias was the guest vocalist on that, when he came over to my studio, uh, Craig's a really big, big guy. And I'm sure to some people, like if they saw him in person, you'd know, be very intimidated by his size, but he's such like also just a nice and even like borderline, like slightly shy at times guy. And so when I was trying to get everything oh, yeah. going and check the microphone and uh, just make sure that like everything was ready to capture his guest vocal, uh, he, he was he was just kind of like, you know, I don't know how, the best way to say this, but he, he was being a little bit shy that day. And, and, uh, Danny had had a, a couple, uh, you know, she, she's, she's not, a in sobriety. She also doesn't, she doesn't go crazy with it, but she'd had a, a couple drinks. So she was feeling a, a little bit more confident than usual. And she said, well, let me get in there. Let me, let me try that. <laughs> let me test that thing out, you know, and just and had never screamed in a microphone before and just let it rip. And all of us in the room were just mind blown. Like not only did she just go for it, but it sounded incredible. And we, we, we all just took a step back and, and, and we're like, wow, like that, that's not going to work on this song because this song wasn't written for her, but we got to get her on a song. And then, uh, you know, I, I deliberately, uh, wrote parts for her and destroy the machines was right up her alley in terms of what she, she loves like that very thrashy, aggressive, um, super high energy kind of stuff. So it was a perfect fit for her.
0: Nice. And uh, speaking of destroy the machines too, it's just like, how? Uh, I, I mean, obviously, big Arnold fan, big Terminator fan, and stuff. As as am I, but you know, seeing where we're at today compared to when those movies came out. You know, with Tesla and DARPA and and AI and everything today. How are you? How how much are you feeling like you're seeing art imitate life? You know. Yeah. With where I we're
1: it's like, the, the, I, I don't mean to use this word in any sort of offensive, sacrilegious way, but it's, it feels like slightly prophetic, like the AI is slowly going to take over whether we want it to or not, you know, and, um, well, you know, while we're like kind of kidding around about it now, I know there's actually been, you know, other people, uh, even Elon Musk as the guy, you know, at the head of Tesla, he's even warning about it, you know? So it's like this weird thing where Austin machines fun and lighthearted, but we're also dealing with a very culturally relevant issue um you know and so I, I kept it of course to the fun side and and the video has you know like 50 50 people wearing endoskeleton uh masks and stuff and they're all just like moshing around with us and it was a really fun uh fun video to make because all the extras that were there they, they were just like in great great spirits like high energy and you know we asked a lot of them and they video shoots aren't always like fun and they made it fun
0: nice yeah but like you were saying it's like uh you know, sometimes people don't want to get bogged down with uh, uh, depressing things, but you're able to kind of wake people up in a fun way, you know, get people maybe thinking, you know.
1: Yeah, at least if they're talking about it, it's it's, uh, it's it's a very relevant topic. I don't think we're at the point where we need to go, you know, set off a bomb at Skynet or anything like that. But, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but we definitely need to make sure that we're responsible with all this stuff.
0: Oh, yeah, for sure. And then uh, I got to give a shout out to your uh, one guitar player that wears the helmet and smokes the cigar, man. I mean, it's just such a good fit. Who who's uh, who's that? And how did you guys connect? So uh, that's Mark McDonald, and he's actually done
1: guitar solos on like going back to the first Austrian Death Machine record, Total Brutal. I think he did four of the guitar solos on that record. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he's done more guitar solos, and then he you know did did um, the cover songs on on double brutal cause it was like a double disc back when CDs were still a thing. And the whole second disc was all like thrash cover songs. And he did all those guitar solos, plus a couple on the originals. And so he, he's done more guitar solos than any other guitar player for Austrian death machine. And he's like the, the kind of the cornerstone of, of what Austrian death machine is in a live context. So uh he's like the most committed character, you know, he's got that, the, the, you know, I, I think it's more like a football paint, but you know, like, like the, the under-eye black yeah yeah the helmet. Thing, like, yeah yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah i i i dug his style man um and then like you're saying with the uh with the album uh names and the theme that you're you're uh going with who the you you stuck it look like the same art artist who's who does the artwork for for these yeah so
1: when i was uh younger i always thought some of the old i i don't necessarily consider myself like a super big megadeth fan but i always and and i'm not i don't dislike them either i I sort of feel somewhat neutral because uh dave mustaine's voice is sometimes hard to get into but there's a lot of cool musical parts so i kind of have my ups and downs as like what i like and don't like about megadeth but their album art back when i was a kid uh rust in peace the album art was was incredible you know so uh that's ed repka who did that uh he did a couple of those albums back in the day and then he's done tons of thrash metal stuff if you ever look up his name but yeah Ed Repka and he's done everything for Austrian Death Machine so far
0: Nice I just had Jim from Morbid Saint on uh the podcast and he did their uh cover work as well so yeah Yeah, yeah
1: he's a thrash metal legend I mean he crosses over into other subgenres too but yeah he's a, he's a legend artwork wise
0: Nice and then uh, you were uh so, you know, once again, like the the album comes out February twenty-third. It's uh Napalm Records. Yes. And, and um like what uh can fans of Austrian Death Machine expect with with this? Uh I, I think it's the most diverse sonically because it's like
1: you know, when I, speaking of Craig Goliath, like when he did uh vocals, he was talking about stuff that he really likes. And so I try to write stuff based off of what Craig likes. Craig really likes some of the modern really super heavy stuff, but he also likes the Shadows are security era of Asley Dying. And so I try to write a couple songs like a little bit more towards that direction for Craig to sing on. And then some like super crazy heavy ones that are heavier than anything I've ever done. of course there's always going to be some like thrash songs like the majority of the Austrian catalog. So it's it's by far the most diverse record. And uh I think on average probably the heaviest.
0: Nice. And if uh fans wanna you know keep up to date with what's going on with Austrian death machine uh where would you send them uh
1: i'm i'm i have austriandeathmachine.com up and i am about to revamp it to be a little bit more uh detailed but i mean that's a good starting spot i'm going to be announcing a european tour this friday and then uh we're still figuring out the details for uh some u.s dates because we're going to do a probably two two separate, like, two-week runs uh, in the U.S. for Austrian Death Machine also. I just got to iron out those dates. But it's going to be a very busy year because I have an As A Dying record coming out later in the year. and um, So I'll be all over the all over the globe this year. Uh, but, yeah, it, my own personal social media is always a good spot or um, AustrianDeathMachine.com.
0: Nice. And will Craig be hitting the road with you guys for that?
1: Well, Craig is not exactly the easiest guy to accommodate in terms of, like, physical space. So if we're all crammed into, like, a tiny little van, you know, driving around the country. I don't. I don't think that's probably going to be the best fit, but definitely. I definitely want Craig to do, uh, whenever possible. I think it'd be awesome. So, um, I mean, he's from Las Vegas, which isn't also too far from Southern California. So, I think all the stuff surrounding where he's at, and uh, I guess I'll just talk, talk to Craig and see where he feels like he can make it
0: it'd be nice to have a cleveland homecoming with them as well you know if you guys oh, get yeah, that it, that'd be Very cool good. but yeah i could see being in a van you know with a bunch of protein shake farts and everything wouldn't it be you mm-hmm. know well so like
1: you know three people could sit on a bench in a van but uh, but uh but in craig's case i think he would need the whole bench you know so
0: <laughs> exactly and then um you know uh Like I mentioned uh, earlier, you know, As I Lay Dying is going to be hitting the road this summer as well. And we'll be seeing you uh, playing Incarceration Festival. Uh, Kamara's back, and they're going to be on that bill. A bunch of other bands that you've toured with. uh, Are you pretty stoked to be playing that Danny Wimmer Festival? And is this – have you guys played them in the past? Yeah, no, we've never –
1: when I originally went away, I don't think the Danny Wimmer Festivals were, like, anywhere i mean they may have existed but they weren't anything like what they are now and then um you know all these years later this is actually our first danny Wimmer festival we're playing i think that um it, it to thank him and and the the people putting on incarceration i think it's it's a cool return to the festival thing for Asla dying in the u.s so we've been doing the european festivals for for at least a few years now uh but i think this opens the door for us to you know where where it makes sense you know start playing some of the u.s festivals again
0: yeah and uh, you know and the irony of you being able to play at a uh you know incarceration
1: yeah i mean i guess that's that's probably an appropriate appropriate uh, uh <laughs> you know i don't know metaphoric place for me to come back
0: have you uh ever been uh and in, in your travels have you ever been to the uh the reformatory there in mansfield you know uh back like
1: not for an event but i actually back in the day when when uh we were just really diy going from city to city barely making gas money um we had a couple days off in, in ohio and there's and i wish i remember the name of the band but there was a, a local ohio band that we played shows with and we had two days off we had nowhere to go just time to kill and they said you can crash with us and they lived really close to there and we went to a visit it um nice and such a blur so it's actually going to feel different when i go back but they they've also done a few movie scenes there right
0: yeah shawshank redemption and uh you know a lot of uh music videos and uh some other movies and stuff but shawshank's the big one
1: yeah yeah so I, I mean i was there and uh you know i uh man it's crazy that was probably back in like 2002 or something like that so it'll be cool to be back there more than 20 years later
0: yeah and then um like, what is uh, some of the goals that you have, uh, you know, going forward with uh, both these projects? Uh, well,
1: for with the Absolutely Dying Stuff, um, you know, I, I think just showing people that where we're at in our career is, um, you know, in no, no disrespect to some of the other bands, but some bands, when they get to as far along as their career as, as we are, you know, they start lightening up or putting out, you know, records that are... Uh, I think less exciting than their previous material, and and I think for us, it's really cool. I I feel like a second wind with "As the Dying Towards." Like this record has a lot of really cool, intense parts, a lot of really great, intricate melodies, and and cool guitar work and stuff. And so, just showing people that we're uh, just as passionate and energetic about where we're at as we've ever been. Um, that to me is is like what's important. And then with, with Austrian Death Machine, because it's not my primary source of income, I just want everything I do to be to be enjoyable, you know, like I wouldn't do it unless I was having a good time.
0: Yeah, for sure. And uh, before we get ready to wrap up, Tim, I want to ask you a couple of questions I normally ask guests I have on, Um, you know, going back to some of your uh, musical influences, who would you say today are your top three musical artists?
1: Man, that's, that's a tricky one in terms of today, because uh, I think when it comes to songwriting, my subconscious mind is what does most of the, most of the work you know so um growing up listening to those old thrash bands it's still just ingrained in there like there's like even if i'm writing metalcore songs and not not trying to be as thrashy it just still comes it just shines through and and even if it's just the energy or the tempos uh that's what just it just stuck in my head but in terms of keeping up with modern trends i mean i i think what wage war is doing is really cool because um they found a way to to sort of create their own sound in a very extremely oversaturated like musical genre and that's pretty rare so i i think they they stand out in terms of the modern maybe more accessible type of bands uh but I, yeah i don't have like uh, a ton of examples unfortunately because i like a lot of modern music listeners i like certain singles and certain songs and i go to bands spotify's and i check out a few songs but i don't really like their whole catalog you know so uh yeah i absolutely. can't really stand behind like too many bands
0: and what's the last book that you read?
1: Uh that's a good question. Um I've been on the uh, as a lot of people are on like the, the the podcasts like uh or people summarizing studies uh through like uh I guess it'd be like video journaling, podcast kind of thing. So I've I've been doing that like for this last year primarily. Um I'm trying to think of the actual last book that I read. Um man i don't think i read a book this entire last year because i listened to so much podcasts and uh and uh in just studies in general uh i'm not actually an expert by any means in in fitness stuff but the amount of like fitness uh studies that have been done in this past year like we had so many things wrong our whole lives in terms of nutrition and workout science and it's yeah. like every day while i'm eating breakfast uh i'll just you know, play, play a little something in in the background while I'm getting my breakfast going. And it's, it's just crazy. Like what I, what I like learned wrong growing up. Uh, so that's kind of like my, my primary interest right now.
0: Yeah. I I agree with you there too. It's like, you know, I'm, I'm probably the most healthiest I've been, you know, in, in years at, at, at 50, because it's like, you know, uh, let's see, 2020, I had a mild heart attack and then I had, uh, You know, I got, I was uh, hospitalized with COVID. That's why I was like, dude, I got, I really got to get serious, you know? And uh, so I've been consistent and disciplined with, with uh, an exercise routine. But what still gets me is my nutrition, you know, because for one, like you said, a lot of the things that we learn has been wrong, but at the same time, it's just like, you know, I, I would, I can justify a, you know, a trip through the Taco Bell drive through like nobody else, you know? Yeah, (laughs) for sure. uh,
1: it's like, well, it, you know. as like a once in a while thing. Our bodies can handle it, but uh, uh I don't feel a tremendous amount of like a- aging pains. But I know that if I keep eating some of the ways I was growing up, I mean, the inflammation and the, the issues that would happen in my body, uh, you know, w- wouldn't allow me to have a, a long career. But beyond, beyond that, it's just like, you know, friends of mine have had different forms of cancer and different forms of things. And it's like, I think so much of that comes from our nutrition. So I'm trying to be proactive about it.
0: Oh yeah, I agree 100%. And then um who are three people who've inspired you and you could credit for making you the person you are today?
1: Uh I know my parents aren't aren't a person, but th- 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 I'm going to put them together in a category because I think that I watched them grow, you know, the the people that they were when I was you know seven years old when we first moved to california and the people they are now the fact that they've continued to grow as people and you know and their age i I think is very inspiring because it shows that uh you know the right open-minded approach like you can continue to become your best self even into your 70s and stuff so to me that's cool i mean the two of them are 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 beautiful and inspiring people and then i i think that it's impossible to be in a marriage or or even a long-term relationship without that person uh, being the most influential person in your life. I mean, you spend day in and day out with that person. So, so my wife, Danny and I, uh, you know, we, we have so many similar hobbies. If we go to the gym, we don't always go together, but we likely go together. We speaking of all this uh, nutrition stuff we've been talking about, like she's sort of been leading the charge on that. I've learned a lot from her and then uh, and she's a metalhead, And so all of our hobbies line up and uh, all of our desire to work through past traumas line up and So I I think the people closest to me in my life, my parents and and my wife, I mean, are, are still changing me even at, even at this age.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. Like I, I've shared with people, you know, my, both of my daughters and I think you, you met them at a live fest. They were like little girls at the time. Now they're young women in college, you know, and they still teach me every day how I can be a better man, you know, huge influences on me. And then, um, You would mention a little bit about your uh, nonprofit that you're involved with. Are there any causes or organizations that you support and encourage others to check out?
1: Yeah, I mean, just to do a brief plug for that, because I'm not asking for anybody's money. We get our um, funding primarily from the Department of Rehabilitation in in California if we're working with California clients. So I'm not asking for anybody's money or anything. I just want people to know that if they've come out of addiction recovery, if they've come out of incarceration, that there are a lot of resources, uh, and and a lot of times people are struggling to do things that that they could be getting help with, and so uh, whether it's reintegration is the the thing that that I I started, um, and my buddy Brandon. Uh, speaking of big influence in my life, Brandon is a huge influence, a huge positive influence in my life. He he works on a daily level to help people in those situations, but um, I think most people you know, even if they weren't from California, that they could reach out as an example and we can network them to like other resources in their particular state. Um, but man, we live in a a world where coming out of addiction recovery is, is not like, doesn't always have to have the stigma that it used to have. And I think that a lot of employers specifically, um, are really open-minded to people that have previously been incarcerated or come out of addiction treatment.
0: Yeah. I've, uh, like I said, I'm still very active in the rooms and, uh, you know, hear so many good stories with, uh, you know, where some employers, like if somebody's working a solid program, you know, and it's rigorous honesty, that's somebody that you want on your, you know, on your staff or whatever, you know, uh, like they would say, you know, with, you know, with veterans as well and stuff, you know, but, uh, yeah, that's, uh, and what what was the name of the uh, organization again? Ours is called
1: reintegration. So the existing nonprofit is called vantage point and they, uh, Michelle, who, who founded that she had been working with, um, I'll, I'll say like people with like more, more noticeable, uh, disabilities in terms of, like, say somebody was blind or somebody, uh, is, uh, in a wheelchair uh, permanently or something like that. And she was helping them finding meaningful employment. Uh, that's where the original setup for the nonprofit and the department of rehabilitation came in. But then, anybody coming out of a, a traumatic experience you know post-incarceration uh or or there's a huge crossover between addiction recovery and and mental health even if it's a temporary uh you know mental health uh issue and so uh, those people all qualify for for the kind of help that, that's out there and i think one of the hardest things especially for people that have previously been incarcerated is to like have that humility be like oh, they hear the word disability or assistance or any of those things and they're like oh that's not me i don't need that you know and it's like dude there's nothing wrong with acknowledging that you just came out of one of the most brutal environments on the planet you know i mean i'm not saying that i've been through near the types of trauma that uh that like a vet has been through but you know it would be weird for somebody to come back from a traumatic experience in war and then say oh i don't have ptsd because it's to their advantage to address those things and to like actually face those traumas. And I think the same thing is true for people coming out of, uh, incarceration that even if, even if they never, you know, saw their friends getting stabbed or whatever, they still were institutionalized for a certain period of time. And there's a certain period of time to like adjust back to normal society. And so I just want to encourage people to, to take help because it's, it's a beautiful thing. And and there's so many great resources available.
0: Awesome. And then, uh, I love, love asking this one. It takes everybody back, but favorite toy as a child. So I had this, uh, uh,
1: I don't know if you, well, you're, you're old enough to remember this. Maybe I don't know if remember this, uh, stuffed animal called a pound puppy. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. I had a, I had a pound puppy that I, I, I couldn't go visit anybody without taking that thing with me. So
0: nice. And then, uh, we've mentioned uh, a couple times, uh, the military, but any, uh, any message you have for our military members that are currently serving overseas? Um, yeah, I, I, well, naturally,
1: uh, some of the people that I've worked with have a crossover, you know, say somebody is dealing with their particular PTSD and they, and they got into addiction as a way to like self-medicate or whatever. But I've met a lot of, um, military guys. And and, and first of all, not, not all of them come from that particular background, but I've ended up befriending a lot of, um, former military or even active duty guys and i i don't know how or why this is but there's a certain way that i think people that have you know with that with the healthy mindset people coming out of incarceration that aren't like institutionalized not trying to be criminals there's a certain you know there's a certain way that we were able to relate to each other and i can't describe it i don't know what you know maybe it's the way that our our housing we're all living in barracks you know or dorms or whatever it is at some point or whatever it is but man i really i really feel um, at home around, uh, people that have, that have been through the military. And my oldest brother, uh, was, a uh, an army Ranger for 14 years before he finished his last six years, uh, at home training other people. And, uh, you know, so he, he's a badass, and, and I know the amount of work he put in and the love that he has for our country and, and, and I know the sacrifices he's made. And so I, uh, with everything in my power, like I want to, I want to give the utmost respect to the, uh, to so the, the military guys that have really like helped our country and whatever you're going through, whatever you've brought home as a result of the difficult circumstances you faced, like if there's ever anything I can do to just show my love and respect and compassion, it, it's, it's there.
0: Awesome, man, Tim. Thanks a lot, man. Uh, it, it's been great catching up with you. It's been a while, but it was good uh, catching up with you today. Um, before I let you go, could you do me one last favor? Of course. You mind cutting a promo ID for the show? Just introduce yourself and you're listening to today's boondoggle.
1: Yeah. Uh, Say boondoggle podcast or, or just, just today's today's
0: boondoggle podcast. Yeah.
1: All right. Hey, I'm Tim Lambesis from Austrian death machine and as it lay dying. And you're listening to today's boondoggle podcast.
0: Awesome. Tim, man. Thanks again, man. It was so good catching up with you. And, uh, Yeah, I'll look forward to seeing you at uh, incarceration and uh, hopefully, uh, you know, Austrian Death Machine will make a Cleveland stop at some point.
1: Yeah, I hope so, too, man. Great catching up.
0: All right. Take care.
1: All right. Later.